All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. This is John Ramstad with my co-host, Sandra Crawford-Williamson. Hello, Sandra, how are you? Hello, John. Good to be here. So excited about today's show. Yes, me too. We have Scott Carter on. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, now, Scott, you have been a commentator um, in your in your where you know this season of your life what what you're doing right now oh my goodness on cnn fox news fox business bloomberg and what are we going to be talking about today scott we're going to be talking about preparing for the future jill and i have a book coming out called you got this your million dollar path to financial freedom but it's much more than that it's about living uh, uh you know life well lived finishing well and uh that means finishing well and preparing for our finances as well so we'll spend some time on that John, and uh, I'm sure we'll explore many things that uh, that go beyond it. Yeah, we are. And, you know, you're, uh, we were talking right here before we, we hit record, and I'd love to hear more from you because kind of your, your upbringing, just growing up in rural Ohio, bailing hay, playing baseball, you said were required activities, and you ended up even playing for the Yankees in their uh, – uh, in their their minor league system, didn't you? And we were talking. My whole my whole family is a Red Sox house. My son's entire room, Scott, is Red Sox everything. And we just got back from Boston to watch a game in Fenway. So, um, but man, you you did everything from selling Fuller Brush and replacing windows and old homes and uh, I mean just grinding it out and uh, an amazing journey that you've had and so many. Uh, lessons learned to share here, but I'd love for you to take us back and just kind of share us a little bit about your journey and some of the highs and lows and things that shaped you. And I'm sure led to the things that, uh, you know, you learned and experienced in what you're doing today. Absolutely. Well, you don't realize that when you're going through your life, the, uh, the, you know, the, the key milestones until you're well past them and you can look back and, and have the right perspective. But, um, I grew up, as you said, uh, in rural Ohio, uh, New Hampshire, Ohio, which is a town of 250 people and uh, had one stoplight. It was the same town that my mother and father grew up in. And uh, I, I went to school with the same 40 kids in my high school. And we went from first through 12th grade. And two of us went to college uh, out of the 40. Uh, the other gentleman went to the Air Force Academy, believe it or not. Wow. And yeah, I know it was just the two of us. Uh, and the, but the draw in those small towns is is to to anchor you down to stay. That's how that's how they survive. And uh, so my dad was a millwright, which is uh, an, another way to say a guy that worked on the assembly line. He could fix any machine. And uh, we had a uh, a blue collar life, humble beginnings, and uh, you know just I grew up in that small town where. You uh, borrowed sugar from your neighbor. You never locked your car doors or your home doors, and uh, you just kind of floated through life. Well, there were limited things to do. Uh, baseball was uh, easy to do and uh, was readily available, and I had a skill, pretty good skill to play it. So I spent a lot of time playing really all sports, but uh, baseball was uh, the primary sport for me, as well as, as you said uh, in your opening, uh, you, you just had to work. I mean, you didn't know anything else. Your dad and mom just said, look, it's summer. You're not in school. You need to find a job. So I did everything from bailing hay to to repairing roofs to fixing windows, uh, you know, on teams. So I just didn't know any other way uh, other than to, um, you know, to to make money when you had free time. And what a great lesson 
that was, at least for me in life, to uh, to establish the fact that, you know, you 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 need to be productive. And I don't care what it is, you should be productive. And I was fortunate to learn that at an early age. Uh, but I will say that, uh, John, that baseball, moving from uh, my formative years in high school and then moving into college, baseball was the only thing that enabled me to to go. Uh, I, in fact, I didn't want to. If I were honest with your listeners, um, I wanted to go to the assembly line and work with my dad and start making good money at Ford Motor Company right away. And uh, there was a, a baseball coach in uh, Valparaiso University of Valparaiso, Indiana, and Emery Bauer was just adamant that I needed to play baseball. He would not let me off the hook. He just kept calling and calling and said, look, if you don't make it, you know, that's fine, but you'll regret it if you don't try it. And he went to extraordinary means to uh, get me to come and play baseball at Valparaiso University. And I resisted it a lot. And uh, But finally, he won the day uh, after my senior year. And I said, I'll go try it for a semester. And I went to Valparaiso purely to play baseball. And uh, had I not, who knows where you know I would be. But Emory Bauer, one guy, um, probably was very instrumental in in my career and uh, and where I am today. Um, but that was uh, that was my foray or entree into college. I played baseball and football there at Valparaiso. I started work in Chicago, Illinois, which to a kid that was in a town of 250 people. Chicago looked well Valparaiso looked huge let alone Chicago you know <laughs> Chicago just looked immense to me uh, and uh, you know I just uh, I had to relearn everything and so my career has been I've been so blessed and so fortunate but it wasn't you know it wasn't without uh, having to knuckle down and and invest in myself and and work harder <clears throat> I had to I basically had to relearn how to speak correctly. Uh, when you come out of a small town, the and you're with a you know blue collar family, your verb tenses, how you speak, what you say is it's just not very uh, business oriented or sophisticated anyway. So for me to become a future executive, I had to be trained, uh, if you will, and. Uh, and really had to invest, and others invested in me to help me. And when I look back and see the two or three people that were mentors and, and wanted to invest that time in me when I was young, when I was in my 20s, I, I'm so grateful for them today, much more grateful today than I was at the time. And uh, that's brought me to where I am today. I've, you know, I've been a working executive for my entire adult life with major companies, an entrepreneur, and have had great success on the professional side. And I've been incredibly blessed on the personal side. Jill and I have been married for 30 years. This year, it was in February, it was 30 years. We have three wonderful children. They're all out of college and working. And Jill and I work together uh, now. She's an attorney, uh, much smarter than I am, much more passionate than I am, keeps me anchored and centered. And, uh, you know, it's a yin and the yang. We're equally uh, yoked, of course. But, um, you know, it's been a good journey and I constantly try to remind myself to enjoy the journey uh, that the, um, um, you know, the view is worth the climb sometimes that we're taking. So that's what's <laughs> gotten me to today to today. 
And, uh, you know, we can get, delve into any details, but, uh, you know, that's, that's where I'm working today. And we, Jill and I run a couple of small uh, companies that we own that are in the financial services space, that are in the cryptocurrency space, and this education space uh, in helping others. Well, that's a great story. And it's similar, really. Um, John and I were both raised extremely um, scrappy, I like to call it, right? You know, starting at 14, you know, if we wanted to go to college, uh, you know, I had to go out and get a job and, you know, grew up in a very small town. We, you know, people say one stoplight town, we didn't even have a stoplight. I think it was more than 250 people, but, um, and I lived in Indianapolis, so I know Valparaiso well. It's awfully cold up there. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, my daughter's a uh, Indiana graduate, a Kelly School graduate, so we're very familiar with that that territory. Yeah, and, and what I love, you know, you, everything you said, I just kept thinking, you know, Midwest values. You know, we meet so many people in what we do, and when we meet people that are from the Midwest, they are just salt of the earth and just hardworking people, people. And, you know, it sounds like you're the same. And so, you know, when you're growing up a kid and you're like doing all these different jobs, I mean, what a blessing, right, that your parents instilled that in you now. Um, You know, John and I both have kids at home, and we talk a lot on the show about what you can do to teach your kids how to be good stewards of all their resources, but including their finances. How, you know, what would you tell our listeners out there that have kids still at home that are, you know, trying to raise kids that aren't entitled and spoiled and all those things that we hear in the media today? Right. It's, it's a, when you love you, we all love our kids and you want to do navigate them around any pothole that's out there. But um, I I think that the best way to phrase it is that at a certain age, you know, let's just say if they've gone to college or certainly after high school at a certain age, you've got to stop being their bank and you've got to be the backstop. And parents have a tough time moving away from being the bank. And the bank is, you know, giving them a place to live way, way past when they should be out on their own or paying all their bills or giving them the credit card or not allowing them to 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 really start from the base level, which might be below how they lived their life when they were being raised, but learning that the value they create and uh, the enjoyment of of what they earn on their own is as important as what they ultimately achieve. So, you know, be the backstop. That doesn't mean they're out on the street sleeping on the street. You know, you, you, you're going to be there for them, but give them enough space, enough leeway. And f- in fact, you might have to have your foot in their back to give them that leeway to push them out. But you need to do that. I think that's part of our role as parents is to give the kids wings We've given them roots. You got to let them go, and it's it's not easy. You know, they it's comfortable, especially if you live a life that is uh, upper middle class, and you've got a nice home and vacations and great cars. Uh, who would want to you know lose that? So, but parents, I would encourage you to uh, you know teach the kids how to to make good judgments, good character. And uh, then get out of the way and let them fall a little bit and scuff their knees because they'll they'll be fine. They'll survive. 
Yeah, I love that. And, you know, instead of being the bank transition to be in the backstop, because so many of us want to rescue them, you know, we don't want them to have to go through all the life lessons that we learned the hard way. But, you know, I, I always tell our clients, the life lessons is what made us who we are. So if we rob our children of that opportunity, we're certainly not doing them any favors. That's exactly right. And and don't fight their battles for them. You know, they need to learn that the, the world's not fair. And, you know, you're going to have a bad boss. You're going to have a bad company. You're going to uh, have to deal with peers. You, you're going to have to learn how to navigate and, and stand your ground and find your character. But I can't jump in and defend you on these things. I can, and I want to, and I want to protect you from anything, but that's just long-term a mistake. And, uh, and it's hard to learn. I mean, I, I say it as if we've, you know, Jill and I have mastered it. We haven't. I mean, we, if you go through our, our children, you know, we've made some doozy mistakes. Uh, but the point is to anybody listening that has either young kids or, you know, or kids that are making that transition, they're resilient. There aren't many mistakes you can make that they won't overcome. So get out, you know, give it a go. Well, yeah, uh, it's interesting. My wife and I were just talking about this this morning, Scott. My son's going back to college, and and he would really like for us to give him an allowance. And our answer has always been no. Um, I had a job in college. Donna had a job in college, and you know what? That forced us to make, you know, manage our time, and it was hard uh, to do well academically. And I remember last year, Michael missed his. Uh, his cutoff for uh, his grades to keep his scholarship. He was on a full academic scholarship and I wasn't even upset. I'm like, Michael, you know, Hey buddy, you're an adult now. What are you going to do? How are you going to fix this? So he actually figured it out and wrote an appeals letter and, uh, and, and had the scholarship reinstated. And I, I have no idea. I have no doubt that going through that for him really highlighted how important actually focusing on your studies is. And if I just taken care of it, written it, you know, I was tempted to just, you know, hey, let's jump in together. Let's figure this out. Um, uh, you know, that would have done him a disservice, even though that was my first kind of gut reaction. I absolutely. And I bet that life lesson for, for your son will stay with him for a long time. Well, I one, sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, one, he can, you know, he can take action and overcome something that's a, a negative and uh, what a, you know, that's just a great microcosm of, I think, what we're, we're called to do. And I've seen so many parents, not to judge, but that, that we love our kids so much that we jump in and we, uh, we don't give them the opportunity to learn that, that, or have that experience. And we, we absolutely need to do that. My, my middle boy, look at the, the you know, my middle boy, Grant, he was going to be a rock star. I mean, there was just no doubt about it. He was going to be the next, you know, white stripes, Jack White, and, uh, you know, play the guitar and, uh, and you know, be at Coachella. And, uh, you know, so we had to, I had to figure out how to not kill his dream, but not give him a false sense of hope. You know, we said, look, go for it if you want, but, you know, stay focused on it. And, uh, you know, he had that period where he would say, you know, we've been so blessed. Can't you just kind of fund everything while I'm pursuing this? And I said, you know, well, we haven't been, you know, what, what do you mean by blessed? I mean, Jill and I have worked hard. Yes, we've been blessed. The Lord's protected us. But, you know, we've got some effort and some scars and everything to show it. And uh, you need to work as well. 
And we stuck we stuck to our grounds on that. And he got his own place and he worked while he was pursuing his musical career. And that phased out by the time he was 24, you know, or 25, when, they, you know, really when boys, you know, all the wires get connected. He said, you know, this isn't going to be my career. I'm not good enough and I want to make money. Dad, what do I need to do? And I felt so good about the fact that, you know, that he found that and discovered it on his own. But we made him, um, you know, be self-sufficient. And, you know, I, I would encourage all parents in their own way to try to do that. No, that's great. You know, in fact, so I have an eighth grader, right? And, um, you know, the, she'll come home and, oh, it's not fair, or this and that. And so we have a saying of fair died in the garden. <laughs> so if you're looking for fair, you know, that was in the Garden of Eden when God created the world. But guess what? When we got kicked out of the garden, fair doesn't exist anymore. So fair died in the garden is, you know, a comment they all know in my house. And, um, you know, the other thing that we do, because I have that tendency as a mama bear to like, you know, where's that teacher? Or, you know, where's that coach or whatever it might be. And um, I have to daily fight that urge. Um, and so what I do when I feel that urge is I shift to, okay, how do you think you should handle this? And let's role play it. And so that's kind of how I, I use those energies. So listeners out there, I get it more than anyone because for the first, you know, years, uh, when she was younger, I absolutely, I was the fire off the email to the teacher, you know, text the coach, talk to that other parent, whatever it might be. And then all of a sudden in about third grade, I realized, Hey, this isn't, this isn't right. And so now, you know, she's 12, about to be 13 years old. We do role playing. We talk through situations and, um, you know, people meet her and they think she's 17, 18 years old. And, uh, so that's just, that's just something you can give a try, but you know, you, you've got these three kiddos. They're all now out of the house and productive. How cool is that, Scott? Well, it's spectacular. I, you know, <laughs> all over the country, but it is spectacular. And I'll, I will make the point. Jill's not here, so I can say this. You know, she, she probably won't listen to the recording. Let's see. But, you know, it, I am a lot softer on my daughter than Jill is. Uh, and she's a lot softer on the boys than I am. So, you know, you you just somehow it, it's very hard for me to not jump in and protect my daughter uh, when, you know, when something is, you know, somebody. In fact, just recently I made the mistake of jumping in on a silly sort of, uh, you know, contract issue with a workout facility, a health, you know, a fitness center. And didn't let her handle it because I felt the the, the manager had screwed her over. And I jumped in and just made a mess of it. She was embarrassed and she could have handled it on her own. But I was just incensed that he was taking advantage of her. And I could not let her, you know, learn that skill that I'm talking about. Whereas the boys, I would just say, well, call them, you know, take care of it. Jill's just the opposite. She, she'll just run in and save the boys. But when it comes to her daughter, who is identical to her smart, yeah, you know, everything. She'll say, Glenn, suck it up, go out there and fix it. So it, it's, a, you know, parenting is, in, it's not for sissies as we know. <laughs> right. I tell people it's the <laughs> hardest job I've ever done. That's right. In, in, in your new book coming out, you got this, uh, Million Dollar Path to Financial Freedom. I, um, my son just got his first job. Um, he's 21 years old and and I'm like, John, you know what? You need to be saving 10%, tithe 10%, save 10%. The What it's going to do for your year in life is going to be incredibly powerful. We actually, 
you know, kind of, you know, plan that out. But Scott, as you know, the, the, everybody listening out there, all in different countries around the world, primarily here in the U.S., though, people that are actually prepared for a successful retirement, this is kind of the topic for today, it, it is miserable stats. Uh, more than half of Americans, I know for a fact, don't even have dollar one saved for retirement. They're going to be working until you know, they're in the retirement home. And that is not the kind of life we want to have in our second half. So what got you, first of all, kind of focused on really, you know, helping people change their scenarios? Right. Well, part of my role in um, in running this business is I'm asked to speak around the country at investor conferences. I've been doing it for three, four years now, where uh, groups of investors that are learning how to generate a second or third income to, um, you know, to put their money to work uh, are at events. And I was one of the keynote speakers to talk about diversification, balanced portfolio, uh, risk factors. And in fact, uh, recently, my topic has been uh, to invest, you've, you've got to be a Jedi Knight. You, you have to be, and uh, the skills of a Jedi are basically, you can see things before they happen. And uh, so you've got to be able to see around the bend and see what's coming to make the right decisions for your personal finances uh, in the future. Don't follow the crowd. So in that in that role, John, I was asked many questions uh, about investing and about retirement. And it became abundantly clear to me over this time and Jill, who was with me, that, uh, as you stated, most individuals are not prepared for retirement. They have no idea how much it will cost. They have no concept of how you know their current lifestyle uh, either has to change or how much money they need to maintain it. And the the mere fact that we're going to be living well into our 80s or 90s is a game changer. And uh, we haven't accounted for that. And uh, the generation before us didn't have to worry about the same things that we're worried about. And no one is really prepared for it. And so that was the genesis of the book, because I was fielding so many questions. And I said, Jill, why why don't we put something together that is a practicum, a how to to put a plan in place that that is encouraging, that says if you have 10 to 15 years before you start to retire, it doesn't all have to be, you know, a cliff, then you've got enough time if you put a plan in place to put the necessary steps in to be successful and to, to have the financial freedom you deserve and you're expecting. So that was the, you know, that was the reasoning behind it. That's what the genesis was to start it. And so we, we set about to put this together, to put a workshop, a book and workbook together to really help people. And what does that look like putting together a plan? Like where, where do you start? I mean, uh, I think a lot of people probably look at their budget, their finances, uh, a friend yes. of mine used used to say when your when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, we started with the end in mind, and the book starts with the end in mind, which is basically saying uh, how much in today's dollars. You know, you can only really speak to today's dollars, but based on your lifestyle today, how much income do you need in retirement to maintain the lifestyle you want? And the example we use is that uh, if you need $100,000 a year to retire, 
and maintain the lifestyle you have, which is not, depending on where you live, that could be a lot of money, it could be very little money. But $100,000 a year, we start with that end in mind as the example. And whatever the number is for the individual, they can do the same calculations. So just that basic number will tell you that if you take it times 25 or two and a half million in this example, that's the minimum amount of money you need when you retire to be able to, to withdraw 100000 or have 100000 a year for the life expectancy that all of us have. The the range, though, is probably more like 2.5 to 3.2 million. And when I say that number to individuals, they're saying that's impossible. They might have 200,000 or 300,000. And, and so then we break it down. So we start with the end in mind, how much do you need? And then we break down, what do you, what do you have? Now, fortunately for most of us, Social Security will cover about a third of that number over our life. So the, you know, the, you can stretch Social Security if you wait till you're 70. That'll cover, uh, let's use $3 million. That'll cover a million dollars of the $3 million you need. So you've got $2 million left. Um, most people do not have a pension from a private company or a government. But if they do, then that's another component that will cover it. And we get down to this, what we call this financial freedom number. What is the amount between now and when I retire that I need to accumulate so that I can have the retirement enjoyment I need. And so that's how we approach the, the workbook and the workshop. And how do you do that? Um, I, you know, I was doing some research. I was just curious, right? What is the average person who actually has saved? This is from the Economic Institute. Is they have $60,000 in retirement dollars, Right. So when they when they're thinking of two million dollars, just to use that as a target or like from here to there, man, that is a giant gap. Um, you know, and a lot of people listening are, you know, folks my age, right? Kids in college and, you know, business ups and downs, things like that. So they're kind of starting from, wow, I have a I have a long way to go. How, how do you help somebody who's in that that spot? Well, that's right. Uh, well, the, again, 10 to 15 years is actually a long time, and you can make a huge dent in what you need to achieve. But your priorities need to change. You know, assuming that you don't have a you know, significant amount of discretionary income above your bills, what do you need to change modestly in your life to set aside money? And if there's one phrase I could say to, to parents and, and really even to individuals starting in the workforce – and that would be pay yourself first. Do not pay yourself last. Pay yourself first. And what I mean by that is that put the money into a retirement that's you know tax advantaged. Pay yourself first and live within your means after that's been paid. Don't don't enjoy all the good things in life that we we. I mean, let's face it. We don't deny ourselves much in life. And if we don't deny ourselves much, and when I say deny ourselves, I'm saying, do you really have to have a car, new car every two years or three years? You know, do you, do you need to do this? Do you really, do you have to, you know, all the things that we do every year that would not change our life at all, that is money that just flies out the door that we think is a part of our lifestyle. And it's robbing us of our future when we will not have the means to make money. And I, so I kind of, shake people to say, okay, this is a change, right? You need to start putting serious money away right out of your paycheck first. And whatever that means you need to cut underneath it, do it. Uh, and 
that's really the that's the starting point. And if they do that, if they can find five to ten thousand dollars a year or to put away pre-tax and invest it wisely, that will grow. Now, John, the reality is is that if they've got sixty thousand and they need two million, for most individuals, we are going to have a work retirement balanced life. We're not just going to retire. So we need to find something that's a avocation that we like to do because most of us uh, are going to have to work until, you know, we're, we're going to have to work well into our 70s to make ends meet in retirement. Yeah, I mean, here we are, Jeff and I are in our 50s with younger children. And, you know, we tell people all the time, you just have to live below your means. Um, you know, we've come up in this society where, you know, the world is telling us we have to we have to spend everything to look a certain way and have certain things and live in certain places and certain zip codes. And, you know, it's we just try to get through to people that, that you know, all that's going to burn up. <laughs> you know, none of that is is going to be taken with us. All those silly cliches of I've never seen a hearse with a <laughs> U-Haul trailer behind it. Right. Um, but goodness, especially where we live you know, we jokingly call it Hollywood. Um, mm. It's just a, it's it's like a rat race, you know, Scott. You get on this um, on a hamster wheel, sure. and and you can't get off, right? You've got the mortgage and the car and the this and the that and the all of these things, and to stop it becomes harder than just struggling to maintain it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what a great point because, and, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm convicted here in that, you know, Jill and I made these same mistakes. The reason why this book is here and we can speak passionately about it and in the first person about it in the book is that because if we, if I rewind the clock to 2000, the year 2000 to 2008, we were the example, the case study on what you shouldn't do. We were out of balance in our economics. Even though we were well-trained and smart, we were overly optimistic. We were, we were up to our neck in debt uh, where we, you know, oh, we've got more capacity to take on more debt. Let's take on and buy something else. You know, let's join a club. Let's get the kids. I mean, we were as long and optimistic as you could be. And then in the blink of an eye in 2008, 2009, we lost 50 to 60% of our wealth. And we looked at each other and said, how could we be so naive or stupid? How could we not, you know, prepare at least a little bit for um, the the risk factors that are out there? And we vowed that we would not do that again. And, and the only thing that saved us with regard to being able to recover was the fact that we were two senior executives uh, that could make good money, and we were in our 40s. If either of those two circumstances didn't apply, uh, we would be really in trouble for our retirement uh, long term. So I, I would encourage folks to, like you said, is to uh, live within your means. Just because you've got you know home equity in your home, don't take out a home equity loan and redo the basement and go on this vacation and do that. I mean, we did all that. It's a mistake. And, yeah, you know, yeah. And try not to do it. 
you know, the, another point I'll make, and, and because you're uh, you're younger, is that you cannot uh, overcome the power of compounding. Uh, you know, Albert Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. And basically, when it comes to retirement and saving, compounding money is the only way to get there. And if you miss out on five, six, seven years, those compounding years make a huge difference in how much you have at the end. So for kids, for 30-somethings, for 40 something, even if you're 50, when you get started and allow compounding to work in your favor, it really has the, you know, at the advantage of being able to save enough money. So compound is a wonderful thing when it comes to saving for retirement. And, and Scott, you had mentioned, you know, before we got started that, you know, when we're kind of looking at some of these principles, priorities, you know, the knowledge that we need to actually make better decisions, uh, that scripture gives us everything that we need to know. I'd love for you to maybe highlight some of that for everybody listening so they can actually have some, you know, some takeaways on some things on how they actually start making some decisions today, like right now. Uh, to reset some of those priorities to get the results that they're going to need. That's right. I think just overarching, Scripture tells us that uh, we need to live with it beneath our means, and and because if our priorities are right, you know, then um, the the money will take care of itself. I and mean, it's no surprise that uh, in the Bible, the 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 most uh, written about the, what's most written about is money and the love of money and how it can uh, separate you from from God. Uh, not that you know. Obviously, God isn't against money. Solomon was the wealthiest person on the planet, but he loved the Lord and and uh, he had his priorities right. So we have to do the same thing, and we have to understand that um, if our priorities are uh, really you know to be you know, faithful stewards and all that means, then I doubt that we would be, you know, splurging uh, on all the things that we splurge on, me included, uh, and, uh, you know, at the, at the detriment of some of the other things. And when we stop splurging and, uh, and give uh, our ties and we give, you know, a set aside and we do the things that scripture tells us to do, then we're going to be fine. The second thing I would say is that uh, for all of us, you know, Puritans out there, some, you know, the Midwest workers, uh, you know, it doesn't mean you, you know, don't work. I mean, the the Bible, you know, Paul was, a, you know, he was a tent maker. I mean, he, he worked and he held Bible services in the evening. You know, Peter was a fisherman. They, were, they all had to make ends meet while they were fulfilling their call. Uh, the goal that the Lord called them to do. It wasn't, you know, that they gave everything up. They gave everything up in their mind uh, and in their priorities, but they didn't give up the work, uh, spiritual or Christ following balance. And when you start doing those things, and again, I, I can be preached to myself as well. When you start doing those things more and more, then you'll be amazed at how much of the uh, discretionary money you have to do the the priorities like saving and preparing for the future and all those other things, paying down debt, you know, um, and, you know, all of these things are just you know re- 
in scripture everywhere about debt and not charging interest and all these things. So that's what I would say, John, at a high level where if you just start reading uh, the scriptures on money, you'll be uh, convicted, and but you'll also see a path forward on what you can change. Yeah, you know, when Jeff and I were married, um, first couple of years, our marriage, we went through Crown Financial Ministries at our church. Sure. And I, I mean, that's absolutely why we're in the situation we are. You know, we paid off our house in seven years. And, you know, my mom gets so frustrated with me. She's like, you're the only CEO I know that shops at the 99 cent store. And I <laughs> said, well, mom, first of all, how many CEOs do you really know? And, <laughs> you know, but, you know, we sort of make it a game. You know, yeah, we can afford, you know, nicer things, but we just turned it into a game. And I really, I don't know how you feel about Crown, but it was really life-changing for us. And it was really, you know, the first thing, get rid of any debt you have. I mean, whether it's a, a house payment or a car payment or credit card, whatever it is, start with the highest interest and just get rid of it. Like work feverishly, do nothing else until it's gone. And then, you know, the whole compounding idea of, you know, if you're out there and you are 22 years old and, you know, you're like all three of us, super scrappy, putting yourself through college, you know, $50, $50 a month put aside now will be chain, you know, completely life-changing when you're 70 years old. Um, and, and so, you know, I tell people all the time that Starbucks costs you six bucks. So take your Starbucks money and, you know, that in theory could be like 30 bucks a week. And so, you know, you multiply that out, put that $120 a month, like just tell yourself, I'm not going to Starbucks. I'm going to put $120 a month aside and just watch that grow over time. You'll you'll be amazed. And then it becomes a little bit addictive just seeing that multiplication. Right. Yeah. Get it out of where you can see it. Uh, to me, that's a great uh, if you and there are applications now for the millennials and out there you can have on your phone where it will automatically draw out of your you know, out of your savings account or your checking account and put it in a different account where you can't see it. Oh, I love that. Put it where you can't see it. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's an app I use called Albert that's on your phone. It's really slick, you know, and and it, you know, and you just set up a a bank account at your bank. They set it up and it saves money for you. You don't even see it. And to me, that kind of a, you know, we've, we've got to trick ourselves sometimes to not, to not go after the cookie jar when we want to do something, you know, and uh, but it's absolutely critical. And I know you you're running out of time here, John, but I, you know, to just put a point to this uh, idea of compounding and starting early. Uh, Jill and I use this in our talks. But basically, if if Jill started saving two thousand dollars a year for eight years, OK, or sixteen thousand dollars, she's just started saving when she was, you know, and she's put away $2,000 a year for eight years, which isn't a lot of money. That's under $180 a month for eight years. And then she stopped, didn't put any more money in. And I started the year that she stopped, eight years, and I put $2,000 a year away for 35 years or 70000 I put the same 2000 a year away for another 35 years. And Jill had stopped when I started. At the end of that combined 43 years, who would have more money? She would have more. And she would have more money. And and the yeah. point there is no matter where you're at, no matter kind of what your situation is, start now, right? 
start now and con- let compound interest carry you forward. And she would not only have more money, but it would be, uh, I don't have the number from me, but like a million three, depending on the interest return. So it's not impossible to put away the money you need uh, if you're focused on it and, uh, you know, do the right things. And that would be my encouragement to, uh, to anyone, you know, get started no matter what you've got in life. You know, if, if you're 60, 10 years, I mean, you're still going to be young at 70. Get going and get yourself in a position to have the financial freedom and enjoyment that you deserve after a life well lived of hard work. Yeah. And you know what else? Stepping off of that hamster wheel of, you know, constantly going for the next thing, the next thing, what can I afford? is so freeing. You know, the biggest source of stress in our society is the gap between our desire for more and handling what we have, right? Like handling what I have today and being happy with it and our desire for more, that actually is the biggest cause of stress in our lives because it causes relationship issues and financial issues and, you know, family issues on and on and on. And, you know, I tell people, if you can really come to know the Lord and and know him as a friend, like an Abba father, like really know him, then you're just going to change your whole perspective. And and the things you're going to be chasing are going to be eternal. Right. And the things you're going to be working for are going to be eternal. They're not going to be, you know, the next new car or the next new luggage or whatever. And I'm like you, I'm speaking from experience, you know, when I got my first big job, I was woohoo, like party, right? Furniture and luggage and purses and shoes and jewelry, you know, and so, um, I, I then racked up $40,000 worth of debt by the time I was, gosh, 28 years old. And so, you You're know, an overachiever, I'm, Sandra, right. I'm speaking <laughs> from experience. Test. You know, I, I, I don't have the scripture right at my fingertips, but you know, in the old Testament, minor prophets, he says, put it in the storehouse, test me on this. See if I won't bless you in multiples that you can't believe, you know, and, yeah, I think that that if we, um, you know, if we get grounded, uh, and and I will say, have some fun with it. I don't want it to sound like you're living the life of you know uh, where you're dour and never go out, and the lights are no. That is not it at all. There is plenty of room there, you know. But if you really take uh, a discerning, non-emotional point to it, Jill and I went through this on our own expenses. We went through our expenses and uh, men out there, be careful. Don't lead with your chin because I did. You know, I, I, I went, I said, Jill, what is this dry bar? What in the world is a dry bar? Uh, are you telling <laughs> me it's a place that you go to have someone else blow your hair dry with a blow dryer that we have here at the house and we spend $60, $70, but, uh, you know, <laughs> huge mistake. Like it was, you know, I should have waited because she turned on me and said, well, let's talk about golf clubs. And uh, Oops. It, it, <laughs> it, it turns out that I spend a lot more money than Jill does on, you know, what I think are necessities that really aren't. And so, you know, but those types of, uh, you know, really steps, have some fun with it. You're you're in it together, you know, but you have the common goal and you'll be amazed at how much improvement you can make in preparing for the future. So, so Scott, how do people connect with you, find you? Where, where do you live online? 
How do they, how do they, well, you can get the book. Actually, the book is coming out next week, actually, is our publication week with Morgan James. And you can get the book at amazon.com. You got this, uh, your million dollar path to financial freedom. Uh, you can also go to our website called you got this Again, you got this And it has the book, the workshops, whatever you, uh, you know, whatever you need. And uh, and then, of course, you know, during uh, publication week, uh, you'll hopefully you'll see it in the um, the retail bookstores around the country. If you're there uh, as it gets uh, released. Ouch. Yeah. So the hard the hardbacks available right now on Amazon. And if you have Amazon Prime, you can even get it same day delivery and the hardcover. And then I know the uh, the paperbacks coming out here shortly, but it's a great book. You know, just the the pieces that, I, that I've read and it's just real practical, which is what I love. You know, so many of these financial books are like, well, yeah, if I made, you know, $250,000 a year. Yeah, I could do that. Um, but this is just really practical. And, and you know, I, I love your story, Scott, because you just came from like, you know, bailing hay and playing baseball and, and through scrappy experience and upbringing and by making mistakes and just staying focused and being hardworking. And of course, having a brilliant wife, um, you know, you've been able to, to create you know, this footprint that that can really affect a lot of people's lives. So I encourage people, go get the book, go read some of this stuff. And, and like Scott said, just start, just start. If it's $5 today, just start. And I love that. Put it where you can't see it. That is so smart. Awesome. Thank you uh, for your time, Scott, and give Jill our best. And I look really look forward to our next conversation. And I just really encourage people to get the book. Uh, make this a priority. This is one of those things that you really need to move to the top of the list and, and not put off. And And I have done that in the past, even as a financial planner myself. It's amazing how good you are at giving advice and not taking the advice that you know you need to take. Well, I agree with that 100%. Thank you so much for having me today. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to talking again. 